Hello and welcome to Inside Job with V and Pam. We're here to share and discuss ways that we've found joy, meaning, self-love, and purpose in our life journeys. Though our lives have unique trajectories and we all have our own experiences, one truth remains constant. Change is an inside job. Our wish is to share at least one spark that lights your inner flame, helping illuminate what's true for you so that you can find your next right steps. This is episode 48. Where are my recovering perfectionists at? This episode was made specifically for you. Today, V talks about perfection versus completion. With a little support from Brene Brown's latest book, Atlas of the Heart, she talks about what perfectionism is and is not, and a lot of the ways that it sets us up for consistent disappointment. So where does completion fit in, and why does it matter? Because completion does the opposite. It sets us up for success. Once we recognize what that feels like and how it impacts us, we can reproduce it and continue to reap the benefits. What would change for you if you gave yourself room to succeed at even one task? Hello, my friends, and welcome. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm glad to be here with you today. I've been thinking a lot and talking a lot with people lately about the idea of perfectionism and how it impacts us, how it impacts the way we interact with people, how it impacts the way we take in what other people have to offer, and most importantly, how it impacts our own relationships with ourselves. As a recovering perfectionist, this is something that I bump up against time and time again because recovering is not about getting it over with and saying, whew, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that anymore. It's more about recognizing what it is we are struggling with, acknowledging that we are doing the best we can, and then consciously seeing whenever it pops up and taking steps to address it in ways that bring us back to what matters most to us and who we really are. So as a recovering perfectionist, this is what I bring to the table today. I'm going to talk about perfection versus completion. So I'm going to start by talking about what perfectionism is, where it might start, and then how we can unravel stories about perfection so that we can continue to recognize our own worth, our own capabilities, and our own connection to ourselves, because that's where we build trust. So I'm going to start with where does perfection come from? Perfection is a lie that has to do with covering up our perceived inadequacies or a sense of less than. So when I believe that what I do is not good enough or who I am is not good enough, I may strive for perfection in an effort to offset what I believe are my own faults. Perfectionism usually stems from 
our upbringing, when we were praised for our accomplishments or our performance. So if you were an A student, if you were a star athlete, if you were a selfless partner or child or sibling, and you took care of everyone else over yourself and you got praised for that, those are the places that perfectionism can begin to grow in us. And perfectionism is not driven by our own desire to do our best or to be our best. Perfectionism is about external validation. It's about external approval and permission. At its core, perfectionism is the question, what will they think? How should I act so that they accept me? Who should I be so that they will love me? Perfectionism is about pleasing other people. It's not about doing our best or being our best selves. So I've recently been reading Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown's latest book, and she is a shame researcher who talks a lot in a lot of her work about shame and resilience and perfectionism. She believes that perfectionism is actually born from shame. She defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are so flawed that we are not worthy of love, belonging, or connection. That our flaws mean that we are not worthy of love, belonging, and connection from other people and also from ourselves. So at its core, shame is one of the most painful forms of self-judgment and criticism. It is not shame about doing something bad or taking an action that turns out to have a bad consequence. That is actually guilt. Shame is the belief that I am bad. It's not I did something bad. It's I am bad. So anytime you've ever said to yourself, I am so stupid. I am such an idiot. I am such a monster. I'm so horrible. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy. You are expressing and experiencing a deep degree of shame. And we feel that in our bodies in different ways. For some of us, it's knots in the stomach or the lower abdomen. For some of us, it's a clenching of the throat or a tightening of the chest. It's a closing off of the heart. We can pull our shoulders inward to shield ourselves, to protect ourselves, but yet our brains continue to tell us those messages. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. I'm not acceptable. I'm not lovable. So shame is where perfection comes from. Perfection is an attempt to do things in such a way that we will avoid the pain of shame. So perfectionism says, if I 
keep the perfect house, if I wear the perfect clothes, if I drive the perfect car, if I have the perfect family, if I present perfectly to my friends, to my neighborhood, to my community, to my society, if I look perfect, if I act perfect, then I will be able to avoid the pain of shame, judgment, and blame. When we buy the lie of perfectionism, it's not because we're trying to be our best selves. It's because we are seeking approval from outside of ourselves. We're seeking external validation. We're seeking permission to be not who we are, but who we think other people want us to be. So not only are we seeking permission to be, we are also seeking permission to be what we believe we should be or what we are supposed to be. So even in that, we are not aspiring to what's true for us, to our essence, to our core values. We are trying to chameleon ourselves to what we believe other people think we should be or who we should be. So perfectionism is lie upon lie upon lie. It's self-judgment. It's self-criticism. It's aspiring to something that's impossible. No one on this planet out of the 8 billion people that are here, none of us is perfect. We are all, as a friend of mine says, hashtag human beings. And as hashtag human beings, we make mistakes. We make errors. We are not perfect. Our bones break. Our bodies don't always work the way we want them to. We don't always think or act or feel or say or do what other people think we should or would like us to. That does not mean that we are failing. That means that we are living a life. That we are human beings having this experience and going through this life. When we come from a place of, I am doing my best, when we come from a place of wanting to be all of ourselves to the best of our ability or performing to our best level, we are striving in a healthy way. We are allowing ourselves to improve, to uh, grow, to hone our skills. We are stepping toward mastery. That's not perfectionism. That is healthy growth. Perfectionism is if I don't do it absolutely perfectly, then I have failed. Learning and growing throughout our lives and using every experience we have as an opportunity for more growth and more learning is the opposite of perfectionism. When we look at every opportunity, every success, every failure as just more information and more opportunity to understand and to become more of who we are, we are striving toward mastery. When we believe that perfection is the only acceptable outcome, we are setting ourselves up for constant failure because perfection is not possible. The paradox is that when we are perfectionists, 
and we strive for perfection and we don't make the mark, we believe it's because we are not perfect enough. And when we believe we're not perfect enough, we dig in even deeper. We become even more determined to control every possible outcome, every possible scenario, every possible thought process in order to achieve that elusive state of perfection. That's a lie that we will never achieve. So when we strive for perfectionism, we are setting ourselves up for constant failure, for constant disappointment, for constantly falling short. How do we unpack this? How do we say, perfectionism isn't for me. I would rather learn and grow from my experiences than strive to be perfect anytime. We can do that by instead of reaching for perfection, which will never happen, we can instead achieve completion. So what's the difference? Well, perfection is unattainable. Completion is absolutely attainable. Perfection is a lie. Completion is tangible. It's the truth. When we complete a task or a project or we achieve a goal, we know that we've done it. We can recognize that we've done it, whether we have the tangible outcome in our hands, whether we have the satisfaction of pride in a job well done. When we are striving for perfection, we're constantly falling short and constantly berating ourselves. When we achieve completion, we can sit back and say, I did a really good job at that. Or we can say, I did the best I could at that. What have I learned? It's an opportunity for us to reframe and to see what we're doing differently rather than constant failure and constant falling short, which just sets us up for negativity in a downward spiral. We can choose to set ourselves up for success in a variety of ways so that every dopamine hit is fresh. Does that make sense? So that instead of repeating the same action every day, we can modify the action, we can sprinkle in different opportunities for success that give us that fresh dopamine hit. So how do we set ourselves up for success? Well, Christine Kane, another mentor of mine and also of Pam's, talks about setting a low bar. And what does that mean? And how is it different from dropping the ball? So dropping the ball sounds like failure and is actually a form of self-judgment. When we look at our outcomes in a very black and white binary system, we're either succeeding or we're failing. And that is one of the uh, roots of perfectionism. It is an either or approach to life. We are either perfect, which as we've talked about is not possible, or we're failing. So that is dropping the ball and it's a form of self-judgment. When I judge myself for not achieving perfection and I think I've dropped the ball, then I'm disappointing myself and I'm not going to be motivated 
to stick with something. I'm not going to be motivated or willing to do something again if what I'm getting is constant negative feedback from myself. If, on the other hand, of dropping the ball, I set a low bar, it means that I can reach completion. And completion is important because it creates success. And success is important because it creates dopamine in our brains. Dopamine is a feel-good chemical that motivates us to repeat the action or behavior in order to create more dopamine. Now, the trick about dopamine is that the more we repeat the same action, the less dopamine our brains actually make. So the more opportunities we give ourselves for success, the more variety of ways in which we set a low bar and allow ourselves to achieve completion, the more fresh hits of dopamine we're going to get. And the more our brains are going to be bathed in this feel-good chemical. So what does setting a low bar look like? Setting a low bar looks like setting a realistic goal, making sure it's something that we can complete, and then celebrating our success. So let's talk about that a little bit. What's a realistic goal? Well, a realistic goal is something that we know we can achieve. So you might be saying, eh, what's the point of setting a realistic goal then? Every goal that we set, whether it is climbing Mount Everest or walking outside every day, is an opportunity for us to give something back to ourselves and to achieve something that we say we're going to do meeting the commitment that we make for ourselves. And why is that important? Because every time we commit to ourselves and then follow through, we are rebuilding self-trust. We are rebuilding that connection with ourselves where we know we can trust our own wisdom and our own actions. So choosing a realistic goal doesn't mean we're slacking. It means we are setting ourselves up for success. And a realistic goal is something that we know we can achieve. It doesn't, one of the oldest stories that is still being kicked around these days that drives me crazy is no pain, no gain. And if you've been around for, well, I started first hearing that back in the 80s. So I'm dating myself. But back in the 80s, the physical fitness stance was no pain, no gain. In order to, it was believed that in order to build muscle, in order to create a more perfect body, speaking of perfection, in order to um, achieve our fitness goals, we had to actually push ourselves into pain and into struggling and into suffering and into hurting. Um, That is not so much the general consensus now, but I still hear it being kicked around. So when we set realistic goals, we are allowing ourselves the opportunity to achieve them so that we can stay motivated, so that we can stay in it, so that we can stay engaged in the process, and so that we can keep repeating it. Now I think people call it habit stacking. I know James Clear is one of those people who talks about starting with one push-up 
and building our way up to 10 push-ups or 20 push-ups or 100 push-ups, rather than saying, today, after not exercising for six months, I'm going to drop on the floor and do 10 perfect push-ups. It's possible. Chances are it's not going to be probable. So when we set ourselves up for success, I'm going to do one perfect push-up today. When we do it, cha-ching, we get the dopamine rush. We remind ourselves how good that feels, and we're motivated to achieve that goal or better the next time we do a push-up or two push-ups. So consider what's realistic. Break tasks into smaller, tangible pieces that you can finish without discomfort. Allowing ourselves to succeed does not mean that we're slacking or that we're resting on our laurels or that we're somehow lazy right? Those are all judgments. Those are all stories that we've been told. They're not true. They can be believable and still not be true. Achieving a goal and feeling the pride and satisfaction of doing it means that you're more likely to do it again. Anyone who has ever tried to create knows that forcing creation is not always the way that it works. However, when we keep showing up for ourselves, eventually we create enough that we can start to string the pieces together. And this leads to consistency versus intensity. So if I say I'm going to write a book and I sit down and I start trying to make myself write for six hours a day or seven hours a day or eight hours a day, I'm going to end up with a lot of frustration, probably some tears, some broken pencils, some ripped up pages. If I set myself a goal that I'm going to write for 90 minutes a day or 45 minutes a day or 20 minutes a day and I show up consistently every day, and write for that amount of time, it almost doesn't matter what I've written as much as it matters that I keep showing up. Because the completion of the task is where I find my success, and that success leads to the dopamine hit that motivates me to show up the next day and write again. Does that make sense? It's not about waiting for inspiration to strike. It's about creating opportunities for inspiration to come in. And when I show up consistently and I do the same thing and I set an achievable goal with a low bar, I set myself up for success. Celebrate your wins. Every single win counts because that is a measure of success. When you wrap up a task, Cross it off your list. Blow a party horn. Take a victory lap. Pour yourself a fresh beverage. Have a snack. Stretch. Rest. Do something entirely different. And celebrate the fact that you just completed that. Every single completion deserves a celebration. Whether it's that I emptied the sink of clean dishes, excuse me, whether I washed the dishes, and emptied the sink again, whether it's I completed a trip to the grocery store and I got everything on the list, whether it's I put my feet on the floor this morning and got out of bed 
Every one of those is cause for celebration because it sets us up for success. So celebrate every win, no matter how silly you might feel at first, no matter how small it seems to you at first, throw a handful of confetti or do a happy dance or put on your favorite music. Give yourself an opportunity to celebrate because that's what brings us the motivation. That's what brings us the joy of success instead of, oh, thank God I got that done. What else do I have to drag myself through? We can reframe our brains. We can reframe our mindsets to embrace our successes rather than just seeing them as, yep, one more thing on the checklist. Ask yourself, what does success look like for me today? What does success look like for me right now, this morning, this afternoon? What one thing will I do that once it's done, I will feel like I'm winning? And then whatever that is, do that thing in the best time period for yourself over the day. In other words, if you're a morning person, use that time of day to focus on this one task that will make you feel successful. When it's done, celebrate it. Cross it off your list, get that dopamine rush. Feel the success flooding through your body. Pat yourself on the back. Remember to give yourself credit for what you already do every single day. We all do so many things that we just take for granted. They are the unspoken wins of every day. So remind yourself, I'm gonna tell you a funny story in a second, maybe not funny, but amusing. Remind yourself of all the things you do every day that allow you to feel successful that you may take for granted. Remember washing all the dishes and emptying the sink that I just remembered? That's something that a lot of us take for granted, but yet if we don't do the dishes, then we don't have them available for whatever we need them for the next time. That's a win. It doesn't seem like much, but when you reframe it, it becomes a success and an opportunity to celebrate. So for a while, this is the amusing story I was going to share. For a while, uh, when, my, when our older son was an infant and a toddler, I kept, this was before the age of like Google Calendar and those types of things, I had a daily planner that had all the monthly and weekly and daily pages in it. And I used to stick all kinds of sticky notes in it. And it was had a zippered case and it was big and fat and I kept it right by the telephone. And I used to write down everything that I was going to accomplish that day, that week, that month. Guess what? I never got to the end of my to-do list. <laughs> but here's what I used to do <laughs> to make myself feel better because that was a particularly difficult uh, time of my life for a number of reasons. There was a time when I felt as though I was failing at everything and someone had suggested to me, write down all the things that you already do and then cross them off your list. So I used to write things as simple as, I poured myself a cup of tea today. I brushed my teeth. I um, changed the baby's diaper. 
things that, again, these uh, unsung, taken-for-granted activities, I used to write them down just so I could have the satisfaction of then crossing them off my list so that when I looked at my list halfway through the day and then again at the end of the day, not only did it look like I had accomplished a lot, which I actually had, but at the time I was in a period of depression and it allowed me to remember that what I was doing did matter, that changing the baby's diaper did matter, that brushing my teeth did matter, that pouring myself a cup of tea did matter, because those are the types of things that when we're in a period of depression or a period of low self-esteem or a period of disconnection, that we think are no big deal. Anybody could do that. Yes, anybody might be able to, and today I did it because it needed to be done and because it mattered to me and because I feel better now that I've done it, if that makes sense. So to sum up, (laughs) perfection is a lie. It is a false expectation that we set for ourselves, not based on wanting to be our best, but based on what will everybody else think of me. It's a form of self-judgment. It's a form of self-criticism. And it's a form of self-betrayal. What can we do instead of striving for perfectionism? We can strive for completion. We can set a low bar. Be realistic with your goals. Make them something that you can tangibly complete, either in the course of half a day or the course of a day. When you complete them, celebrate your wins. Don't forget all the things that you do that you take for granted, that other people take for granted, and count those as successes as well because they are. This has been a lot. I appreciate your coming along on the ride with me today. If you have any questions about perfectionism versus completion or any experiences that you'd like to share, I would love to hear them. Please feel free to visit me on Instagram at v.lbassi. Drop a comment. Uh, You can also feel free to write a review of the podcast and share your experiences in there and rate the podcast because that really helps us spread the word to more people. I appreciate your listening today. We thank you so much for your support, and I'm looking back to being here with you again soon. Until then, take good care, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening. As always, we appreciate you spending time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know, and thanks for your support. Pam and V are certified coaches who love to help people remember who they're truly meant to be. To find out more about working with Pam Davis, you can contact her at coachpamdavis at gmail.com. For more information about Virginia's work, visit her website at www.vlabasi.com. That's www.vlabasi.com.